everybody welcome to the 104th edition of the holy backboard i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage chilling live and direct from southern oregon your boy got a brand new couch well i shouldn't even say a brand new couch i got a new couch to me and your boy lives in a second story walk up and he had to carry this big old couch all the way up to his second story so my arms hurt, my head hurts because I had to push it with my head to like raise it up the stairs. But I'm here and I'm gonna spend my I'm hundred percent effort on this. I'm here. Let's do so this you shit. You actually had to do work today. I actually had to do like physical labor. Like uh, adult stuff. <laughs> a job ain't nothing but work and getting that couch up was work. I think I had it a little bit easier than you. Went out to some sushi for lunch. Had great dinner. Now I'm chilling. I got my main, my main man. Yeah, bro. Bassy right Aww. next to me. He's, I thought you were talking about me. <laughs> I mean, you're my main man, but he's like, you know, main, main coon. And he's just chilling next to me. Like, he's been, the Blazers have been racking up dubs like nobody's business. So they've been living that fancy feast life. So anybody at Fancy Feast listen to this, get at me, get at Sage, because so much free pub is coming from Blazer victories, and these cats are loving it. Uh, currently, the Blazers are 27 and 22. They are tied in the loss column with your Pelicans for six in the West. They are just three in the loss column back of the Spurs for third. But don't get too comfortable, Rip City. We are only two games in the loss column ahead of the Clippers for ninth, which would completely knock us out of the playoffs. So there is no time to rest on any laurels. And with the season more than halfway over, and as we are about to turn the the calendar month over to February, the next game is the most important game of the season. And we have about five games we're going to go into discussion about uh, later on in, in the episode, but Portland did what they had to do this week. I predicted a 3-0 week, and really, Sage, they should have they done it. Uh, they lost a, a heartbreaker 101-104 in Denver to the Nuggets. Uh, they followed that up with maybe their best performance of the season. Uh, this past Wednesday, they drubbed the Timberwolves 123-114 to in a score that really wasn't that close. And as you predicted, it was a sluggish start. They got down by 12 to the Mavericks in Dallas, but they pulled away with a magnificent third and fourth quarter to uh, really route the Mavericks 107 to 93, uh, a two and one week, uh, a big week, and they're going to get even more big, Sage. Uh, with the trade deadline looming and really everything around the NBA, just chaos it is taking place. So as we were, we're discussing, Sage, Portland goes two and one. On the week, and at first it was looking a little rough because it was almost like here we go again. They had won three straight. They go on the road to Denver. They had the game in the palm of their hands, and Denver does what really every team should do. And I don't know why more teams don't do this. They doubled Dame, and they're like, "You are not going to beat us." Dame was having a, a great performance. He ended up with twenty five points, eight assists uh, on ten of eighteen shooting, 
and they completely doubled him. And we Terry Stocks, this is one of the games where he got completely outcoached. This was on Stocks because he had no answer for what Denver and Mike Malone were, were doing. And, and Jamal Murray, Murray, too. He was on exactly. fire. Exactly. We had a few, I think it was like four or five possessions in a row with a lead where the ball ended up in Al Farouk Aminu's hands, either shooting a jump shot or trying to create off the drive. And Terry Stotts needs to have more of a contingency plan that if they're going to double dame, maybe run plays to the side of the floor where you have more of a capable ball handler to use dame as an outlet. So maybe put dame and CJ closer together. So if you want to double team them, it's going to have to come from CJ's man or Pat's man. So they can, you know, shoot, just be a little bit more of a threat. And yes, I know Aminu shooting 40% from three on the year, but he was uh, pretty cold on the night. He was two of 10, 05 from downtown. So I just, I, I don't know why we continue to do that. And then you mentioned Jamal Murray. He was a one-man wrecking crew. Uh, he had 38 points on 14 of 19 shooting. We had zero answer for him. And what did we do, Sage? We left him on an island for him to operate, and we got beat. You talk about smart teams doing smart things like doubling Dame, but what I saw them do is they ran really hard at Al Farouk Aminu, and forced him to be a playmaker. There were a few plays in a row where he did the right thing. Like, it led to a alley goop to Ed Davis, a uh, Euro step for him. Like, he did the right thing this game. But I felt awful about those possessions, each and every one, where Al Farouk was put in a playmaker role for that possession. I'm shocked that teams aren't doing that all the time, just running at Farouk, making him be the decision maker of that play. Certain times, that's going to be an errant pass that leads to a turnover. But one thing that I really loved from watching this game was Zach Collins' defense was pretty fantastic. And I, I, I noticed that he and Pat Connaughton communicate the best with one another. A lot of plays were ran where Pat's man, he had, Pat had to defend the man, they set a screen, and Zach and he switched really seamlessly. And to see that amount of communication and, you know, I, like someone screaming ice and then them actually doing it was really good to see. And Zach Collins just looked confident. He picked up ball handlers and looked like confident and people deferred away from him because zach had that like look in his eye like i'm stopping this dude and he played great off off ball help side all of that stuff he had a great game defensively oh yeah i mean seven points seven boards three or four from the field uh two blocks and he does something that it takes veterans in the league 10 plus years to learn how to do go vertical he doesn't foul when uh, when ball handlers are attacking him. He does a really good job of letting his length be uh, the biggest uh, obstacle for the, the ball handler to, to shoot over, and he's doing a great job of that. You mentioned the chemistry between Ed, or excuse me, Pat and Zach. I really love the chemistry between Ed and, and Zach. Uh, they've been coming into the game at the same time uh, for probably the past month or so, and they seem to really feed off of one another. And you just feel secure when those guys are in the game. No rebound is going to get unattended to. They're going to set amazing screens. They're going to hustle their ass off. 
Ed's going to be a little bit more physical around the basket. Zach's going to be able to space the floor a little bit more with his three-point shooting. And they just seem to be vibing really well with one another. Zach has a chance to be a great pick-and-roll defender and also a great post-defender. Once he gets his strength up, he has a chance to be a, a, a very good, a very good defender. And Are that's we talking first-team all-defense down the line? I, I don't know about that, but... It's tough to predict what our team is doing, but, like, he's one of those few dudes that, like, can defend everything. I mean, once he gets his body right, because he's getting pushed around by Jameer Nelson on post-up situations. But once he gets his body right, he has the athleticism, IQ, all of that stuff to be a damn good defender. And that game was just frustrating because we had dissected the Denver defense by dribbling it in in handing it off to, like, Ed Davis. Ed Davis had a, a pretty monster night. Nine points, ten boards, you know, two assists, a steal, and a block. Completely filling up the stat sheet. Nurk was dominant again. Seven of 13 shooting. 19 points, 12 boards, three blocks. We were doing our damage inside, and it's like all of a sudden we went away from that. And to be one and two against the Nuggets with the race as tight as it is right now, that game just felt like here we go again. Portland cannot take advantage of teams that frankly they are better than. I I will argue till I'm blue in the face the Trailblazers are a better team than the Denver Nuggets. And I want to say one of the things that I might not be super popular, but I hate watching Jokic play basketball. Him trying to work in the post is like watching a 40-year-old retired police officer at the YMCA on a Sunday afternoon. He just looks so awkward, and he's trying to bang, and he's trying to use his strength, and he just, he's moving his arms. It just, it was gross. Like, he needs to stay on the perimeter. Like, you do not have post moves. It reminded me of when Jeff Pendergraft was on the Trailblazers, and in the summer league, we were trying to see if he had any post game, and we kept dumping him into the post, and it was just like watching, you know, going to uh, the circus. You, you didn't know what was going to happen. Was he going to get the shot up? Was he going to get a stolen? I mean, was he double dribbling? It, he just looked so awkward down the post. Aminu was straight up stifling him. One-on-one, mano-a-mano. Um, I love it when Jokic passes the ball, but he didn't do a lot of, of that. He tried to post up Aminu and it wasn't working. I did not enjoy watching him play, and I know there was a lot of hype surrounding this kid uh, last year, kind of putting him in the same breath as Cat or, you know, Porzingis. And frankly, I do not see it, Sage. I think they are not one, but two steps above Jokic right now. I don't know about that. I think Jokic is a perfect third star. He's not your first star. He's not the alpha. He's definitely not the alpha. I think we can agree with that. You are pissing off some Denver fans right now, my guy. I do not think he is also, um, he's not a number two. He's he's a very great complimentary player. He's a, he's a nice third player who might make an all-star team down the road. But I think if you're ho- hoping that he's going to be the face of the franchise, Sage, I just don't see it. He was not, he was not the guy taking over the game. It was Jamal Murray. Mm-hmm. Well, I think people are impressed with him because there's not really another Jokic out there. So they're drawn to something so rare. And that's why his hype gets uh, to such a high level. But, I I mean, I think he's a damn good player. Uh, 
but maybe not the the unicorn that Cat is or Przingis or Anthony Davis. Or Giannis. See, I feel like there's a lot of freaks out there right now in the NBA. Like, Embiid's doing stuff, putting the ball on the floor, dunking on Russ, and he's also giving us the, you know, the showmanship to go along with it. The NBA is in great hands, and like, again, I'm not trying to knock Jokic. I just don't want expectations to over overcome his actual production where he becomes an overrated player. Like, we should just appreciate him for what he is. He's a, a really nice player, but I don't think he's ever going to be the face of the franchise. I mean, don't get me wrong. I would be over the moon if he was on Trailblazers right now. Like, so there's nothing coming in the form of salt in that aspect. However, just watching him play, this, like, Twitter, quit overhyping your man because I wasn't super impressed. Oh, man, the the, the Twitter hype of uh, Jokic is outrageous, day, And then the Twitter slander of him is pretty outrageous, too, so... I think he Look, gets it from both angles. Let's not forget he doesn't play defense either. Oh no, he 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 doesn't give a unicorn's piss about defense whatsoever. So that was the Denver game, and it set Portland up with I don't know if you can call it a must-win game, but at, it was as mu- much of a must-win game as you can have in January. And the Timberwolves had just recently beat us twice in a row uh, in the month of... Uh, actually, they did it over the span of the month between December and January. And it was the first visit to the Rose City this year. Uh, thankfully, we got a lucky break and Jimmy Butler was, was out of the lineup. And early on, it looked like it was going to be a long night. Minnesota was getting anything they wanted at Wiggy the rim. was so aggressive, bro. He was doing that step through that looked just completely unguardable. Uh, Towns was hitting, Gibson was getting every loose ball, and you knew Jamal Crawford was going to deliver. For whatever reason, that guy lives to torment the Trailblazers. And Portland just, to their credit, they kept up. They kept within, you know, striking distance, as they say. And I felt like our bench was really the X factor. They were the, the unit that kept us afloat because I think our bench outperformed theirs. Yes, I know Crawford played well, but they didn't really get much from, you know, Tyus Jones. They didn't get much from, from Zhang or Shabazz Muhammad or um, George's Hunt. And Portland really took advantage of their lack of depth because with Butler out of the lineup, that, that pushed um, Lynchia into the starting line five. Yeah. Was this the game that Pat was just on fuego and then started dunking. Yeah, this this was signs of Sergio Rodriguez to Rudy Fernandez in the Spanish Armada. You've got Damon CJ throwing up lobs to Pat and man, I forgot what it looked like to see an alley oop coming from a trailblazer. <laughs> Seriously, now it's been year. It's like when's the last time we had a consistent oop threat? Was it like Andre Miller to Lamarcus? Yep, it was Andre Miller and Marcus Camby would throw lobs to Lamarcus and the guys. Yep, absolutely. It's been it's like been six a, years. It's been a long time. And I don't know why we don't do it. We got guys that can jump. Oh, uh, bro. Do you see the Twitter like, why doesn't Nurk dunk? Why doesn't Nurk dunk type of responses and stuff? Yeah, I tweet that shit out all the time. You are seven plus feet tall. Get in there and throw it down so you're not leaving it up to chance. 
Like, this is coming from a dude who has never dunked before in his life and who would give so much to be able to dunk just once. So whenever I see a big guy lay it up around the rim or just throw it up there softly, it just kind of pokes at me. I'm just like, if I was given the opportunity just just to throw it down, and then the Bill Walton voice, you know, throw it down, big man, one time, throw it down. That's what I want to hear. That's what I... That's why I want to just yell at Nurk every single time, like, go up strong. I kind of get why he doesn't do it. He's had a bunch of leg problems. And being around the rims kind of scary for dudes that, you know, have dealt with these type of injuries. Maybe it's a self-preservation thing for Nurk. Well, I, don't, I don't know how much preservation you're going to get when you keep shooting his percentages around the rim. His middies and... Unless it's a pick and roll where he's the finisher rim running, dude, his offense is crazy bad. <laughs> yeah. It's so He's got good footwork. He really does. Like if you watch his feet, it's like, oh that's good, that's good, that's good. And then he like spazzes out as he shoots the ball and just flings it. I have no idea what's wrong with him. It like the damn good footwork and then a five cent finish, bro. So, obviously, Portland's not going to shoot 17 of 31 every night from three. They scored 43 points in the third quarter. Yeah, didn't they shoot, like, 90%? Yeah, easily their their best quarter of the year, their best overall performance. They shot the the shit out of the basketball. But what's interesting is Nurkic was a complete non-factor. He plays just 20 minutes, three rebounds, four personal fouls, and six points. Yet, Portland blows the door off of the Timberwolves, was this a perfect storm, or can the Trailblazers win sustainably without Yusuf Nurkic in the future? Now, I'm not saying, like, you just remove Nurkic from the equation. I'm saying you remove Nurkic and, let's say, you plug in a DeAndre Jordan or you plug in an X at the center position. So you're just, you're not losing um, so much as the talent, but you're just losing the player. Can they win without Yusuf Nurkic? That that was a special third quarter where they just weren't missing. And then they extended their lead. But I think that they can play well. I, I could definitely see uh, it uh, us making it work with someone other than Nurkic. Which, you know, <laughs> going back to this summer, Nurk was our guy. People, I mean, shit, you and I were saying, top five? And now, it... I think we've seen what he is. But moving on from Nurkic, can we give it up for our main man, Ed Davis? Dude, he is killing it. Been a monster this entire season. And that one hand finish where he drove the lane, hammered down on Buddy, and then goes to the to the stands and high fives the fan, like I was just yelling as soon as I saw that. I just went nuts. I love when players and fans like interact in a positive manner and they they like high five and it just brings back memories. There was a game in 91. For whatever reason, the Sonics decided to play in the Tacoma Dome and it made it so Portland fans had less of a commute. So obviously half of the Tacoma Dome was Blazer fans and Portland got down by like 20 points. And this was the year they won 63 games, setting all sorts of records and they came back, they caught fire, and there was a possession down late in the fourth where Drexler had a fast break, and he dropped it off to Porter for a lay-in on the right-hand side. He finished it and won. Blazers take the lead. 
and Porter just, like, slaps this dude's hand so hard in the front row, and it just, like, it pumps you up, because obviously, as as a, as me as a diehard fan, I'm like, that could be me. I'm not going to make the lip, but I could be that fan. <laughs> once so you when, get, a, once you're a rich and famous social media guy. Or if I just win, like, win, you know, a, a giveaway or some shit, like, that, that to me is more <laughs> attainable than actually being an NBA player. So when I saw Ed do that, I was like, that's my guy. Like, I've loved Ed, and he had a bit of a setback, but he has came back so freaking impressive. Like I was ready to write him off, say, you know, thank you for your service, and you're an expiring contract, and we need to see what we can get out of you. But his impact, he had 11 points and 10 rebounds on a perfect 3 of 3 shooting. And he played more minutes than Nurkic. He played 25 minutes. And he had two dimes, which one dime, the touch pass out of the post to Zach Collins for the three, a thing of beauty. Playmaker Ed. His contributions go far beyond the box score. And I don't know if the team can now afford to trade him. We have always said that when Wesley Matthews left the team, a little bit of the Blazers heart and soul left with it. And we were still searching for that guy in the locker room to be alongside Dame. Well, Dame has said countless times that if he could choose to go to war with one trailblazer, he's picking Ed Davis. Ed Davis said preseason that he wants to re-sign with the trailblazers. He likes it here. He likes that he was given an opportunity. You know, he's just started the family. He's been here the past three years. Players like consistency. They like staying in one place. I just don't think Portland can afford to let him go. Especially now. He is the heart and soul of this team. And I don't know why it took me until probably today to realize that. Because I was thinking about the team and I was like, Ed's that guy. We've been Mm -hmm. missing a Wesley Matthews guy. But Ed is turning into that guy because to some extent, you can be that guy personality-wise, but you have to back it up with your performance. And the way Ed has really elevated his play, it just kind of clicked. And it's no coincidence that we're starting to play better when Ed gets more minutes. With Nurk playing, I think the game script for Nurk is he plays about 25 minutes. With our star center playing such few minutes, you need a guy that can be that third big that you can trust. And right now, Ed Davis is a name you can trust. So we have we have you know we have to keep him if that's gonna be the rotation where Nurk plays limited minutes because of whatever reason. We need a guy with, that we can trust, and right now Ed Davis is that guy. I mean, after going three of three for that double double against the Timberwolves, the next game against Dallas, he goes fifteen points, thirteen rebounds, six of seven from the floor, three blocks, and another hammer dunk like and he also i think saved the game with his block on dennis smith jr we were only at four at the time we all know those dunks count for way more than two points in the in the overall landscape of the game like that would have got their crowd hype it would have got their team going and it could have been uh, a momentum shifter ed blocks it we go the other way we score and we keep him at bay and we you know extend our lead he is just so important for this team, and obviously we're looking to win now. I, I, I don't think that's up for debate. We have Damian Lillard, we have CJ McCollum, both getting into their mid to late 20s, and 
there's there's no reason to tank at this point of the season. It yeah, we're it, already in the playoff. Like, you it, know, yeah, it, exactly. It, it just it, it doesn't make sense. We're not even going to get the high of a pick. Even if, even if we blew it up, I don't think we would have. We would be like the tenth team. Exactly. So there, there's no extreme tanking that that we could do if if you're you know pro draft picks. I think if we want to ride this out with with Damon CJ and their current contracts, you, you got to keep Ed. I I think for my money right now, I'm not counting Lou Williams as a six man. I don't know if there's a better bench player in the NBA at this point in time than Ed Davis. Hmm. I mean, definitely for us that like Ed is what we need with all of his hustle, his grit, his garbage man attitude and accepting the fact that he is that and shining in that role. Uh, one one thing I've noticed with Twitter people talking at Holy Backboard specifically is uh, them talking about us wanting it two ways where there needs to be a rotation, but in that Dallas game, for instance, CJ McCollum was hot, and we took him out because of the rotation. What What are your thoughts on that? Because I, I have some stuff of my own. My thoughts are, if we were going to lose that game, that was entirely on Terry's thoughts. You do not take out the one player who had it cooking. CJ looks, you could just, there's certain games with, with, with guards of Dame and CJ's caliber, they have an extra pep in their step. They just have that look in their eyes. They maybe make that first bucket and you can just see it in their body language. They're ready to explode. They're ready to have a big night. CJ was getting his way anywhere on the court. I mean, he already did it, uh, I think, a week or two ago to Yogi Ferrell. He had a big night against Dallas there. He was about to do the same thing in Big D. Nobody else could throw it in the ocean. Damian Lillard said he ate some, some bad chicken. He was about to throw up in the first quarter. Nobody had it cooking. But CJ did, and we pulled him because of a regular rotation. And what happened was Dallas got out to a 12-point lead, and it looked like we were going to have to scrap and claw our way the entire night against one of the worst teams in the NBA. You know, Thankfully, the team uh, kind of flipped the switch and everybody got on CJ's page. But that's my big concern with Terry Stotts is he, he has rotations and he doesn't. So right now, he's done a pretty good job of sticking with him. We talked about the chemistry between Zach and Ed. That's been a consistent thing where he's brought them in at the same time. I think that's fantastic, especially when you're bringing along a 20-year-old rookie from, from Gonzaga. On the other hand, the great coaches all have an adaptability about them. They are able to spot something in the game and say, ooh, I'm going to ride out the hot hand, or I'm going to continue to let this guy go. I don't understand why you maybe don't remove Dame, especially if you can tell that he's not feeling well, and say, CJ, you run the show. You know, Baz, you go in for, for Dame. That That just made entirely no sense to me, and there's no logic that you could let me know that I would say, yeah, that's a good decision to take CJ McCollum out at that point in time. Yeah, I, I, I think that it's important for NBA players to know their role and accept it. So, I mean, like, just be, when you are knowledgeable about what your responsibilities are, you have a goal to reach. So I think that it's great that he has rotations he likes to play with. But 
there has to be some flexibility. Like in the instance with Dallas. Dude was absolutely cooking. Dame was feeling shitty. You have to be able to adapt. And what Stotts does not like to do is adapt to circumstances. So, of course, we love that he has a rotation. I think that a lot of the chemistry that's being built over these games where we're winning is beautiful. But when there's such a glaring mismatch, we have to take advantage of it. And I didn't see him doing it that game. And I don't see him doing it much ever. No, I mean, at this point in his, his career, Terry Stotts is, is who he Terry He is Stotts what is. he is. You're not going to change him. And if you even try to change him, when the pressure happens, he's going to revert to what got him there. And what got him there is this type of rotation. Of course, I would like someone more adaptive. But for this year, Terry Stotts is our guy. And that's, I mean, that is a problem I see when he is stubborn with his, his decision making. Yeah, what's going to happen in the seventh game series? You have to make changes. Yeah. Or you're just going to get left behind, which could be a totally possible thing, where where if Terry has a game plan going into the game, he doesn't like to divert from it. But sometimes circumstances allow that you have to. When CJ McCollum is absolutely on fire, you don't, you don't go away from him. You ride it out until it's over. Thankfully for Terry Stotts, CJ was cooking in Dame. After taking the first, what, I think it was 21 minutes of, of game action, he scored, scored his first basket with, I think, three minutes left in the second quarter. Both really ramped up, and it's no surprise that Portland puts together back-to-back performances worthy of blowout victories when they're starting backcourt really, really were the catalyst. You go back to that Minnesota game, C.J. McCollum had 28 points on 12 of 20 from the floor, including 4 or 5 from downtown. In that same game, Dame chipped in 31 on 9 of 17, 6 of 11 from three-point land. You go to you go to Friday's game against Dallas. CJ again started off hot, ended with 20 points on an extremely efficient 9 of 14. Dame picked up where CJ started, ended with 29, 9 of 18 from the floor, 3 of 8 from downtown. Sage, when these two guys get going like that, and they're both being efficient, so we've seen nights where CJ puts up 30 but takes 26 shots to get there. That's not what's happening. He is being very efficient with his with his shot selection. I've seen him not pound the ball into oblivion as much. He's not forcing the shots as much. I don't know what it is, but maybe a flip got switched because after he missed that potential game winner in Denver, I mean that was a, that was a bunny. That was an easier shot than he had against Memphis against Dylan Brooks earlier in the season in Portland, where he hit it off the front rim too. I was starting to really worry about CJ. I was like, can we count on him in the clutch to make these these big buckets if teams are going to key in on Dame? Well, he really responded with two beautiful performances. And the only way Portland makes a splash in the postseason and down the stretch of this regular season is with our two star guards. They need to carry the team and let role players like Pat Connaughton, Ed Davis, Alfred Camino, and even to an extent Yusuf Nurkic play their role and provide their contributions because you can't count on role players busting out for 20, 25 points every night, five blocks, 10 rebounds. You need to have your guys all play within their role. And for Dame and CJ, their role is to lead the team and lead the team offensively and in distribution. And I mean, it wasn't, it isn't a coincidence that in that Denver game, CJ didn't really have it in the first half. He didn't, 
he might have ended up with some a decent amount of points, but it was off a lot of shots. I mean, when you when you saw that it was CJ driving to the lane, and then we got the rebound, and Evan Turner got it. How are you feeling about our offense in that last possession? I was screaming for a timeout. So I loved the CJ shot. I was like, that was a great looking shot. You can't ask for anything more. As soon as Evan Turner got the rebound, I was screaming for a timeout. I did not want anything to do with Evan Turner in a game game winning situation. You knew he wasn't going to pass it, bro. Oh, you I absolutely knew it. Yeah, like, <laughs> there's no way Evan Turner doesn't think, I'm hitting this shot. And, like, definitively, he does not do well in a lot of roles. And where he was just dribbling and dribbling and dribbling and trying to spin to get a shot. It was it was not a good a good possession for the Blazers. I did rewatch that possession. Gary Harris locked Dame up that possession. Those first two uh, attempts at the basket, he locked up. Once Gary Harris, once Dame got away from Gary Harris, he got to the rim and did something. There were there was also a missed. We should have been able to tie the game up without even inbounding the ball. He pushed Dame down. Before the ball was inbounded, another blown call by the official. Um, and then, unfortunately, Terry Stotts had kind of just the, the bonehead play where the ball goes off of Dame. They were going to give us the ball, but Terry calls him out, gives the officials time to look at it. They rightfully get the ball back to Denver. They make their free throws. And then Portland just doesn't have an answer. But overall, a 2 and one week, given the opponents, that's about... That, that's what you'll take. It probably needs to be 3-0 if we really want to aim higher in the postseason, but really a lot of things have happened in the Western Conference that have shaped the outlook of the playoffs with, unfortunately, injuries. You have Andre Robertson, who ruptured his patellar tendon. He is done for the year. Oklahoma City now does not have a really strong wing defender on their roster. Yes, I know they're cooking at the moment. They've won eight straight. They are now um, fifth in the West at 30 and 20. And then you also have your your Pelicans who suffered just a, a horrible injury with DeMarcus Cousins uh, tearing that Achilles with like eight seconds left in, in the fourth quarter. So with him sidelined not only for, for this season but into, into next season, um, that opens the door, I think, for a team like the Trailblazers to... You, if you're the Blazers, you know you have to finish better than the Clippers. The Clippers have a lot of uncertainty. They, they're likely to move either Lou or DeAndre. You have to be better than the Nuggets, who are still without Paul Millsap. I think now you're you're easily ahead of the Pelicans without uh, DeMarcus Cousins, who's playing out of his mind. Yeah, like, the, the thing with the boogie injury, man, like, I watched, like, I, I'm a Pelican fan as well as a Blazer fan. I watched him play his best basketball this last month like 25 points 14 rebounds two steals two uh, five assists like dude was playing out of his mind and playing in a role where he could like contribute and not be the the boogie that's the, the negative but like just dominating so him getting hurt man like of course when i saw it i was just like oh fuck that is the worst possible time to happen with 10 seconds left but as I, you know, got past that injury, I was like, all right, this is where the Blazers need to make their push. And if they can get someone to help them in the wing, this is where they do it. 
because I know the Pelicans were looking to acquire a wing talent. I don't think they'll really be doing that as aggressively as they they were before the boogie injury. The Blazers need to pounce on something if something becomes available in the wing to help us out, because I think that is a glaring weakness for us in the playoffs, our lack of wing depth. Given the injury to Cousins and where the season is at right now, would you agree with the following statement? If the Blazers finished lower than 6th in the West, the season would be a complete failure. Maybe not a complete failure, but it's not what I would be expecting during, like, I think if we played this out a hundred times in this circumstances, the Blazers should probably be the sixth seed, like, 60 to 70% of the time, just because of how the cards have fallen. I mean, like, could you imagine what the Thunder could do with Paul George and Roberson in the playoffs with switching against the Warriors, for instance, with all that length, all that athleticism, and now that's gone? Boogie Cousins being hurt, uh, Paul Millsap being hurt, the Clippers being a question mark. It, this team is the has the least amount of glaring weaknesses. It's really just a wing player that would help us. I think that, yeah, if we finish six, I, I would be very disappointed with how the season is, but I wouldn't call it a complete disappointment. I meant anything lower than six. Sorry if that wording. Yeah. No, I think given the injury to Cousins, anything less than six with our talent and barring injury, I would say would be a total disappointment. There's too much talent, and Portland really, if they play their cards right, they should be in position to one kind of... <sighs> Take the take destiny into their own hands, as they kind of say, and two, maybe you can win or lose games based upon your own playoff seeding. Like, do you want to be sixth and face the Spurs at three, or do you want to move up to five to play the Spurs at four? Or you know, get, I, I think there's maneuvering. If you win your games now, come April, you can really look at the standings and you know say, "Ooh, where, where do we really want to be?" And put ourselves in the best situation possible. Exactly. And I know GMs and coaches be like, no, we want to win every game and talk about that bullshit. But deep down, I know there's a matchup preference that they would have, and they would be lying if they said they wouldn't be doing anything within the rules to try to obtain that matchup. Because when we remember the 2017-2018 Blazers, we will remember how they performed in the playoffs, not what they did you know, April 2nd if they started all reserves to get to that spot. You know, we won't remember that. We'll remember, hey, did we knock off the Spurs? You know, mm-hmm. did we upset Greg Popovich and Lamarcus Aldridge? Move on to the second round. Get so revenge on the snake, Lamarcus Aldridge. Exactly. So it'll be interesting if if that comes into fruition, but you have to win your games now. And I it, mean like even the people that are all about winning every single game and taking that opportunity, they would have to admit if they were given some truth serum. The best narrative for the Blazers is to play the Spurs because of that LaMarcus factor. And, I mean, even if you look past it even more, I don't think that their guards could handle our guards. So it gives us the best chance at a second round appearance. So if we win these games, it would give us that option to perp- like make some clutch decisions on where we are going to be spending our time in the playoffs. So I think I think it's a very it's it would behoove us to win these games now. So 
over on ripcity2.com. You posted a blog post, you busy man. It was more of a message board thread. If you want to call it a blog, I would be much obliged to accept that. But I titled it Tough Decisions. And we mentioned this on the podcast a few weeks ago. Damon Stoudemire was being interviewed by Dwight James. I will always tune in to watch one of my favorite past trailblazers uh, being interviewed. Dwight said that, Dame, I always envisioned you as a front office guy in the NBA. If you were the GM of the Trailblazers, what would you do? Damon Stoudemire responded, there are a lot of tough decisions that would have to be made because obviously the Blazers have similar talents at similar positions and they might need to make some moves that probably aren't going to be the easiest. So looking at the roster and removing obvious choices such as Dame, CJ, Jake Lehman, um, Zach Collins, Myers Leonard, Mo Harkless, Evan Turner, players you know you would either keep or go with 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 like two seconds of hesitation. Like you just know Dame we're keeping, uh, CJ we're keeping. Even if you want to trade CJ, that that whole debate has been kind of talked about ad nauseum, and I didn't really want to even bring that into the consideration. So there are seven guys on the roster who are either free agents or could be traded. Really, everyone could be traded, but you know a few of them are going to be free agents at the end of the year. And I think Portland has some tough decisions to make. You look at the backcourt, Shabazz Napier, Pat Connaughton. Uh, the frontcourt, Yusuf Nurkic, Caleb Swanigan, Noah Vonley, Ed Davis, and Alfaruk Aminu. So there are seven guys there. And I went through each one of them, what they have brought forth to the table, their contract scenario, and whether I would keep or move them. And I wanted to ask you those same questions, Sage. So, Shabazz Napier, he is a restricted free agent at the end of the year. Would you keep or would you move him? And it's tough because... I would like to keep him, but he is a luxury that we probably can't afford. So, if I mean, if we could, I would like to keep him, but I think it might be a better idea for us to trade him and see if we can get some value, because in the playoffs, I don't think he'd be playing as much as he is now. So maybe we could, if, like, Shabazz was the thing that could net us a small forward that uh, could contribute now and in the playoffs, I would do it. But if it's just for some random thing, I wouldn't do it. So I would trade them for the right price. You're trading our most important insurance policy. Yeah, but just think about it. How many minutes would Shabazz play in the playoffs with Damon CJ both healthy? At least 20. He's our sixth really? man. He's our sixth man. As uh, minutes get lesser and lesser, I don't think he'd play 20. I think so. We're going to be relying on Damon CJ heavily to get that playoff position. They, they could be a little bit tired come, come postseason time. You're going to need fresh legs. And he gives us, I think, our third. he's our third best ball handler. And he can create his own shot. He's also the, the third player on the roster that can create his own shot. None of our wings can create their own shots outside of Damon CJ. So the reason, so the reason I keep him is because... One, he's already in the rotation. Two, he's been that backup point guard that we have been just begging for for years, probably since we had Greg Anthony backing up Damon Sotomayor. 
and and three, he can he he gets buckets. He has won us games by himself. And given the right matchup, you can play all three of those guys at the same time. I agree with y'all all your points, but if we could get a wing, I'd probably still do it. I think there are other but ways that's to, just me. to get a wing. So I, I think he, to me, is too important. Uh, Pat Connaughton, he is an unrestricted free agent. Um, improved his game. Been the most, I think, surprising player on the roster, maybe outside of uh, Shabazz Napier. I was ready to cut him loose along with Jake Lehman after a summer league performance, but easily our best player off the ball. He has now learned to put the ball on the floor as well and finish. He is a great locker room guy and has a pure jump shot. I already know you're going to keep Pat Connaughton, right? Yeah, he just fills a lot of needs. And like the most important being shooter. We would only have two shooters on our team and we need a guy for spacing. But like it, it, when the time comes when we have to pay him, there's definitely a cap that I'm not willing to pay him. So would you keep him even knowing there's a risk you're going to lose him at the end of the year? Yeah, just because he'll help me now. And I'm willing to come to that bridge when we get to it When in regards to him getting paid in the offseason. All right, so up next is Al Aminu. 27, has another year left on his deal, a career year from three, hovering around 40%. But, as I mentioned, he is 27, and next year he'll be 28, which will be the last time he's going to be able to get a big payday. Uh, he's not making a whole lot right now, about $7 million, I-, I believe. <sighs> so I think he is a polarizing player. Either you love him and embrace his chaos, or you kind of cringe every time he does anything other than dunk or shoot a wide open jump shot where do you fall or play defense where do you fall Uh. on that spectrum also also i should say he's plays the four right now but if you don't think he could play the three long term he's got to go we have too many young power forwards yeah that that's the thing if 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 he regresses to the mean where it's like a third like he has had a great first half of the season but if there's a regression to the mean I don't think we could afford to have him as the three. But the way he's shooting this second, I'm fine with it. But there's always that chance that he is just on an unbelievable hot streak. But are are we talking about moving him in 10 days or at the end of his contract? Um, Trade deadline or the summer. Either or. I'd keep him for this year just because he'd help us attain that goal. And I would probably move him next summer just because of how he's contributing, shooting, rebounding, playing defense. I I think he's too valuable this season, but next season I'm expecting more development from Zach Collins. So I would probably trade him next year. I would definitely sell high on Aminu. I don't think he is going to. You don't think he could keep up the shooting? I I think this is peak Aminu. Like he isn't as. Oh, absolutely. I think you need to sell high on Chief, whether it's at the deadline, you get a great deal, or at the draft, you make the move. I don't know when that's going to come. Um, like you, I would probably do it in the summer, but at the same time... The history it, value won't be any higher than it is today. Exactly. It's a catch-22. His trade value is the highest right now, but you risk disrupting the chemistry the team has currently, you know, 
uh, working. Mm-hmm. He's a big part of the team. He is our best defender, probably our best rebounder. Maybe Ed Davis, maybe, but like he contributes a lot to our success this year. I don't know if Zach Collins is ready to pick up that, and I don't know if we're ready to give up Von. Like give Von. Like it seems like he is completely and totally out of the rotation. Or you also run the risk of playing Alfred Camino thirty games plus the playoffs, and if he starts playing like shit, his value is completely gone, and now you're you're stuck with another. I mean, at the, at least he'd be an expiring contract, but. Yeah, you're, you're stuck. We can trade Aminu whenever we want. I don't really have a, tr- but the, the 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 prize we get back is going to be much lower than it would be right this second. But I, I would move him when the time is right, or if the offer's right. I would move him probably sooner than later because of the value and because of the next guy on the list, Noah Bonley. Uh We've talked about it. Portland is eight and three on the year when Noah plays twenty plus minutes. It's no coincidence that I think Nurkic had the best run of his career as a trailblazer during Nurk Fever in March when he was playing alongside Noah Vonleh. Those two, like Ed and Zach, have a great chemistry with one another, and they really play, for whatever reason, just great basketball together. Vonleh is, I think, our best defender, Um, and in today's NBA, if your big cannot go out on the floor and switch the pick and roll, and handle his business on the perimeter against a quicker guard, that big has got really no job in, in, in today's NBA. Vonley can do that, and for whatever reason, he is completely racking up uh, DNPs. I don't know if it's to lower his value, which I think would be severely unethical, or if it's to showcase Ed Davis or give Zach Collins more playing time. I don't know. All I, I think it's a, it's a mix of Ed Davis playing really well, than Ed Davis being the vet for Zach Collins. Because, let's be real, Noah Vonley is on his first contract. He's not that veteran presence for Zach Collins to be a sponge to. He's all, I mean, Noah Vonley is a young man. Noah Vonley is also I mean, a sponge. I, He's only 22 years old. Yeah. But I, I, th- I think that, I, I think it's just because Ed and Zach seem to have this chemistry together. So, that's why I asked, can Aminu play the three? We have too many young potential power forwards and I still believe in Noah Vonley. I'm not saying if we trade him now it's going to be Jermaine O'Neal 2.0 but Jermaine O'Neal was about 22 and we moved him for Dell Davis as well. I just happen to think if Noah Vonley gets into the right situation he's going to be a useful player. He's, he could flourish definitely. And I don't know why we're not playing him. I would keep him. I think even at the very least he fills out your bench and you're not yeah, going to get it, it, a better contract. I don't think that we're, like, as of right now, he's getting, he's on a cost-controlled contract. Probably $2 million or something. I'd keep him. I mean, it's not like he's going to get a crazy high contract. He already has chemistry with the team. I'm not saying he's a world beater by any means, but that's a cheap contract, and you need cheap contracts to fill out the bench. And he has potential. So I would keep him. Um, But it's it's not really a... He could be great, or he could be what he is, but at least he's going to be a cheap contract, and with our books looking the way it is, we need as many of those as humanly possible. Another power forward center, um, Ed Davis. At the beginning of the year, like I mentioned, I was ready to thank Ed and and move him for a pick, or another package him and get another uh, player on the wing, but right now, Sage, 
I think we have to keep Ed Davis. He's valuable. I've he's way s- too valuable. I've for, said my reasons yeah. why. Yeah, he's too valuable to move. Unless, like, we just get our sh- socks knocked off. Which I don't think we will for what Ed Davis is. I mean, his salary is so cheap that we can't really get our socks knocked off unless it's, like, a young rookie-scale contract guy. Because I don't move, think... Would you move Ed Davis for a first-round pick that would fall nah. 24 or lower? No, because I think that's a crapshoot. Mm-hmm. Especially in this draft. With what he produces right now, it's better than what the 26th pick has done. I don't know who the 26th pick was last year, but I doubt he's producing like Ed Davis currently. Caleb Swanigan? Well, I'm right. I am right. Just because I forgot him, (laughs) I am right on that statement. Caleb is not producing like Ed is, and I don't think he ever will. And... Ed is 29. I don't know how much we he need has vets, le- though. Yeah, I don't that know does, how much like, he has there's left so in the much tank. ageism on uh, NBA Twitter where it's like, yeah, he's 24, but really hasn't shown much, but he's 24. He could turn into something. Well, Ed Davis is something now. Let's use him. And Nurk doesn't play that many minutes, so we need a defendable big. So I keep him unless some real crazy shit happens. Yeah, I think. I've said why I would keep Ed Davis, but maybe most importantly, his ability to play backup five. Um, I think that allows for Vonley and Swan Vonley and Collins and Aminu to to get their time when it comes uh, because he is able to play to play to play backup five. Uh, next on the list, somebody we talked about, Caleb Swanigan. Um, also, you already know how I feel about him. I think we're I didn't like the, right the pick. It, I didn't like the pick in general. So I'm not going to talk. I didn't like it in during the draft, and I didn't like it now. So I would trade him for. Or I have no. I have no problem trading him. Yeah, I think you have to let Caleb go, and I think it's and a- he's a first round pick. So someone might take a chance on a guy who's a first round pick, and he's putting up numbers in the D League for whatever that's worth. He's at least producing, and people can see it. So if we can get something for him that's positive, peace, Caleb. And I think it's an unfortunate situation for Caleb on two levels. The first being when he was born. He is a true throwback player. If he was just in the league 15 years earlier, he would be a ama- he'd be an amazing asset because he would be defending guys of his similar foot mm-hmm, speed. The he build. He wouldn't yeah. have to go out on the perimeter and chase guys like Kyle Kuzma and Ryan Anderson and Chris Tapps. Yeah, it's a, different, it's a different game, though. And I do love his floor vision. I think he is an amazing passer. I love his heart and his hustle. But if we're being honest, he his peak might be what Ed Davis is now. Mm-hmm. And what and Ed Davis uh, like is far more athletic. How? What do you think the percentage of NBA athletes that are less athletic than Caleb Swanigan? Honestly, I, I would not even be able to give you a even a ballpark guess. Every NBA player is athletic. Yeah, but I'm going to say he's on the lower, lower, lower end of athleticism. And you talk about his floor vision, and I think that's a very valid case. But for him to be anything but a net negative, he's going to have to have the ball in his hands way more than we feel comfortable with. So I would trade him. He's putting up numbers. Maybe someone takes a chance on him. Yeah. That was mean, but I, I mean, that's how I feel. Well, I, I like Swanigan, and 
you know, if we had taken Donovan Mitchell or Malik Monk, it might be a little bit easier pill to swallow that we took Swanigan, although Jordan Bell has my heart forever. But the, it just it makes that draft even more puzzling that we took two power forwards because I right- th- I think the 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 idea was there's no way we're gonna be in the same scenario we were last playoffs. We're getting two bigs and we're running. We're never gonna run out of bigs, and I think that that strat might have screwed us. It's just a little bit little bit baffling. Um, last but not least, Yusuf Nurkic. I think in terms of what I read on Sports 2 and maybe from Twitter, people are pretty polarized on on him as well. I was super stoked about Nurk coming into the season, but he reminds me he's just too inconsistent. You don't know what you're going to get from him. Yes, I know he's 23, but Sage, I don't want it to be July 1st, and we're staring down the barrel of a max contract offer that we have to decide whether we want to match or not. In three days. <laughs> and like it or not, the injury to DeMarcus Cousins increased the likelihood of a team giving Yusuf Nurkic a max contract offer because that is one less big on the market. Now, Cousins may get paid still, I don't know, but now teams are going to be a little bit more hesitant about a guy coming off an Achilles whereas, ooh, there's this 23-year-old Bosnian beast Maybe he just had a nice playoff series and is starting to, to pick it up, but at least he's a double-double machine. Um, we got cash. You know, let's, we got to hit the salary floor just like everyone else. I do not want to be in that predicament. Yeah, that, that, that should, seems like a really shitty scenario to be in. I don't know what the market is for him right now, but I can tell you that nobody is really thrilled with his play. It's just been too inconsistent on a night-to-night basis. And yeah, if we can get him for twelve or thirteen million a year, that might be fine. But that's not going to be the case. He's going to that's get not going to happen. That's going mean, to get way more than that. I'm sorry to the, all the people that think he's like, you know, he's only playing at a nine million dollar value. We're going to give him that. That's not happening. Doug. I mean, Mason Plumlee got fourteen. You think that Nurk, bad Nurk, even the worst Nurk, is? The same value as Mason Plumley, a guy who couldn't run a pick and roll, a guy we were getting d- demolished with on defending a pick and roll. Nah, nah. He, Nurk is getting more just because he provides more, even when he's bad. I would, I wouldn't pay him. I would see what you can get for him at the deadline. Um, I know that's a risky proposition. You maybe risk any chemistry that you've got going on right now, but. You cannot be a prisoner of the moment. Yes, we're 27 and 22, and you know all seems right with the world, but we've got five tough games coming up where we can lose all five and we're, we're out of the playoffs. So we can't let what good we have going right now really steer the direction of the franchise for the long term. Like, Neil's going to have to look at this as, you know, the season from a whole, not just in this, you know, three-game bubble that, that we've seen. And obviously, you don't trade him just to trade him. You got to get something back in return. Yeah, we have to have a good asset back in return for trading. But more than any player, I would be active in seeing what the market is for Nurkic because you don't want to be in Allen Crab territory next year, where you're just or next next July, where you're really, you know, up against the the wall, and it, it would feel like a Joe Johnson situation in Atlanta. Atlanta had to match that max deal, and they're like, oh, we can't let Joe Johnson go. 
But even with Joe Johnson, they still weren't getting out of the first round. So you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't. Um, not the best scenario to be in. I would look to move him. But uh, after doing that, I do not envy Neil O'Shea. I do not no, want... he's in a shitty position, man. I do not want but to be in But he's put himself GM. in there. He's put himself in that position, though, with the 2016 free agency. I don't know if the 2016 free agency has a lot to do with the players we talked about, though. I mean, but the, the fl- financial fl- with the financial flexibility, it definitely has something to do with it. I, mean, I don't know with our owner, though. Our owner, if you, if you say, Paul, it's going to cost $100 million in luxury tax to get this team to the conference finals, Paul says, where do I write the check? I mean, this dude is an owner of two professional sports franchises as a hobby. Like, he has yachts on yachts on yachts. Like, he has a yacht for his other yacht. I mean, this dude is completely loaded and loves winning. So, yes, I I can, for a mediocre team, you don't want to pay a ton of luxury tax. But if you can say, hey, we're going to win, we're going to win. So, I think in the case But, I mean, the the roadway to winning is pretty pretty tenuous. I, I don't... Well, you don't let talent walk out the door. So I'm just saying, like, you're not going to get better by cutting salary. Like, that that does that's not... Like, you can't just say, oh, we're going to let Shabazz and Pat and Ed, you know, walk this offseason and, and Nurk as well. And we're all, oh, well, financials are going to look great. You're not going to be a better team. No. But it's flexibility is a helpful thing. Well, you'll be flexible in a couple of years once, you know, My- Myers, Mo and Evan come off the books. But like we've discussed, you're going to have to be patient with those. I think in the case of Shabazz, that's probably the most tied to the 2016 offseason because of of the financials. I will completely give you that. But everything else, I think you, you just you have it's a game. You got to pay to play. Um, but no, I do not envy Neil Olshay, and I think all GMs who have free agents coming up, it's it's, it's not fun. Oh yeah. Dude, could you imagine how Del Demps is feeling right now, bro? Yeah. That, there are so many options with that. There there are some tough decisions we have to do. But for some teams, that offseason is going to dictate the next 10 years for this team. For their uh, teams, respectively. The Clippers in Los Angeles on Tuesday followed up with a back-to-back against the Chicago Bulls. The only home game of this five-game stretch. And then... An extremely tough but short three-game Eastern Conference road trip starting Friday in Toronto, Sunday in Boston, and Monday a back-to-back in Motown against the Pistons. Those are five incredible... Maybe take out the Bulls. I think you have to... Even they're playing better. But we've they're already, an improved team. We've already beat them in Chicago, though, so I think you have to beat them. With Zach Levine healthy? Yeah, fuck Zach Levine. I think they're 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 a tough team too. We can't discount them, man. Nah, we got. I mean, we can discount them because we're fans. The players got to keep their shit tight. But Portland should handle business. I think the key to this five game stretch is Tuesday night against the Clippers. Mm-hmm. Not only are they behind us in the standings, but they beat us already once this year. And we do not have a great record in Los Angeles in the Staples Center against the Clippers. Lakers fine. Is DeAndre... According to Roto World, he... Oh, yeah, he did play against New Orleans. <laughs> he got a double-double versus New Orleans. I remember that. Whew. So he's back. 
that's going to be tough. Lou Williams is back on the bench. Their front court gives us problems, and I'll say right now. Jordan had 12 points, 19 boards. The way we win this game, Nurkic stays out of foul trouble, and for the love of Bill, the mayor of Rip City, Sean Lee, can we please send a double team on Blake Griffin? He abused Aminu in the first matchup. Yeah, I don't think Aminu has enough girth to defend Blake Griffin. I would love to see what Noah Vonley could do against him, because he uh, he matches up well with size and speed, but I don't know about that. And I think Zach might get a little overmatched going against a legit star like Blake Griffin. What do you see happening? They play tough, man. If Blazers are on their P's and Q's, I think we win. But if we discount them, the Clippers are just going to out-tough us and play hard every possession. I'm I'm leaning towards the Clippers outplaying us. Because it's, it's at Los Angeles, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the Clippers are going to play hard for their home, their home fans. Blazers win, and we have this on wax. Terry Stotts, ladies and gentlemen, I have faith in you. You will send the double team on Blake Griffin if he gets cooking. You will make guys like Wesley Johnson try to beat us instead of Blake going one-on-one. We are playing good ball right now. The team is locked in. I may be a fool. But I'm, ah, I think they're, I think they're gonna get it done. This feels like a statement win for the Blazers. They need a statement road game, and I think they're gonna carry that momentum Wednesday night. And I think they route the Chicago Bulls. Oh, I, I think the Bulls will be playing tougher than we expect, but the Blazers win. I, I I like what the Bulls are doing with their team. They're a fun team. They try hard. I could see... The Bulls have I lost four still, Nurk- bud. Dude, that game against the Pelicans... I've, I've watched some Bulls. They're not They're not a bummy team. I know, they, I know they're not bummy, but after making that playoff push, they've lost four straight. They're back in the... I don't know. I think they do well, and I think Nurk might be able to dominate against Robin Lopez and their slow-footed bigs. If we if we beat the Clippers and we come back home, we're going to be looking for for some blood. I I like us. We're we're winning at home too. We've won 7 straight at home. Blazers big. Blazers in a closer game for me. Sage ye of little faith. Where's positive Sage at? Bring him back. I don't know, Doc. I don't know. We're stuck with reasonable sage until until yeah. I get too hyped up about something. Nah, get hyped. The, I think this might be make or break for the Trailblazers. You've got Toronto, Boston, and Detroit. I thought we played Toronto already, man. Well, they killed us already in, in, in the Rose Garden without... Oh, that was it two times in a row? Damn. So, oddly I thought enough, that ass-whooping was two. No, oddly enough, we played the Raptors in preseason in Portland, and then they played uh, in Portland again like okay. the first week of the season. Just completely killed us without Valanciunas and Ibaka. But I can't remember the last time we've won in Air Canada Center. Like, they, Is it one of those weird uh, time slots, or is it a normal game? Uh, we have a weird time slot Sunday in Boston. This is a regular uh. start. Um... I think if Portland can come out of this three-game stretch, one and two, 
you take it. Especially, oh, absolutely. especially if you take the first two of this, this, this five game week that puts you at three and two. But uh, Sage, I'm having a hard time seeing where this one victory comes. I mean, yeah, the the Raptors are playing good ball, man. DeMar DeRozan has his way with us always and forever. Uh, mm-hmm. We've seen what the Celtics can do, even without Marcus Smart. They almost beat the Warriors. Kyrie's been on one. And Detroit. Where do you put Brad Stevens in the pantheon of coaches? He's, he's probably top seven, I'd have to say. He's, I mean, he's making stuff work, man. He's a damn good coach. I mean, Um, and then you've got the Pistons, who, I don't know if they're ready to blow it up or not, but they still have Avery Bradley, who Damon CJ have constantly praised, because he locks at least one of them two up or gives them fits, and then Drummond has always given us issues, especially He's producing a lot. He, he, the ball, he, he is doing stuff to put him in good position a lot of the time. But if we were to win a game, I think it's in Detroit. Because Boston, to, yeah. Boston can lock us up. Boston's a very slow team, and they play good defense. Boston's a 9 a.m. local start Portland time. Sunday morning, shout out to our girl, Neela Madison. Get your Sunday morning coffee ready. Get your breakfast. Cozy on up. If you got cats like me, get them on the couch. 9 a.m., you're ready to go. Hopefully we get a Sunday morning surprise. I don't see it. I think Boston. <laughs> no, I don't see it on that I one. I think Boston's going to be the most difficult game of this stretch, followed by Toronto and Detroit. I will say losses in Toronto and Detroit. Or excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. I will say losses in Boston and Toronto. Portland ends the trip with a surprising hard-fought victory over the Pistons. I think it is of the utmost importance they get at least one. Um, you just you can't get skunked. Yeah, I w- I watched some Pistons earlier in the year, and Tobias Harris got one like the what's the eye surgery that makes you see better that I desperately need but I'm scared to get. Same, same, same. LASIK. <laughs> um, LASIK. He got LASIK and like was shooting forty percent from three for a while. I haven't really watched that team much because they're not that good, but I remember that stat about Tobias Harris. Um. I think I think we lose to the Raptors and Celtics and then beat the the Pistons. So you have us going two and three. I have us going three and two. Uh, tell reason, hey reasonable Sage, can you get the fuck out of here? Bring back positive Sage. <laughs> I'm sorry, Doug, but this is a tough this is a tough road trip, man. Well, we're playing tough right now. We we know it's go time, Sage. Yeah, this is this is the time where. The team has to get their shit together and get these dubs. This is the 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 really the last trek before the All Star or before the trade deadline. Um, trade deadline and is All-Star, February eighth. Right? I believe the Pistons game is February fifth. So this could be the last five games this group is together, and it it's not fair. But in a vacuum, these five games could determine what Neil Olshay does with the roster. And I know players like to keep guys around, and I know trading Mason Plumley at the time was an unpopular decision, but Terry Stotts told them flat out, we are the reason we had to put ourselves in a position to trade Mason Plumley because we were underperforming. Well, if you- Yeah, and I, I don't think that, that Dame and CJ care about Mason Plum- that Mason Plumley trade. If Nurk can net us a legitimate center or a more legitimate center, I don't think they're going to feel this negative way towards the team about trading Nurkic. I think that fear among Blazer fans is 
a little silly. If a different guy can lead them to a championship, they're going to be so much more happy than being a mediocre team that fights to get to the second round. Well, it's going to be a big week in Grip City. As we mentioned, every week is bigger than the one prior. And hopefully on our next episode, Sage, we're talking about a lot of Blazer victories. But until then, Grip City, you can hear this podcast uh, weekly. We record Sundays. It's usually out every Monday. You can hear it on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, iTunes, at Holy Backboard. Find us on social, at Holy Backboard on Facebook, Twitter, and the Gram. And Sage, where else can our listeners find us at? We are on Dash Radio Tuesdays, 2 to 3 Pacific Time. Check us out then. Um, drop us a follow at Holy Backboard, PDX, and DHaz22. Yeah. Where and then listeners- Sage. Where can our listeners find Dash Radio at? Uh, you go to DashRadio.com and you go to... Nothing but net radio, and we will be on at two to three on Tuesday afternoon, and that's the one telecast. So if you miss that, you can check us out at all of the other platforms, and it will be the full episode, not an hour long edited version, the full uncut raw sheed Wallace of this. Both podcasts played hard, and you can check me out every uh, Tuesday. On Mixer.com slash Stupendous for 2K Tuesdays. You guys went on last Tuesday and I was a little bit bummed, so... Uh, I yeah, to- we, we, we made up for it on Wednesday. Where- no, I can't do... I'm, I'm, a, I'm a man of... I'm a creature of habit. So when you say 2K <laughs> Tuesdays, I'm like, Tuesday, like... I'm ready to go. So I will be there on Tuesday, hopefully after a Blazer victory, ready to talk some shit in the comments and watch you guys ball out. So... Uh, hot damn hot damn rip city catch us there catch us on this podcast until then have a great week wherever you may be this is bill shinley good night everybody let's go